It's one of the most important statements in all of the Bible. The just shall live by faith. Coming up next on Daily in Christ, we'll talk about the necessity of the just shall live by faith. Hello once again and welcome to the Daily in Christ podcast. I'm Mark Van Oos and I count it such a joy and a privilege for you, my dear friend, to take time together with us as we gather around God's Word. And starting right now, we're going to be uh, doing two series at once. Would you believe it? We're going to be continuing our series, Hebrews, The Glory of the New Covenant. But as we go into the subject of faith and uh, what we find in Hebrews chapter 11, we're also going to take this section of the Hebrews study and we're calling it uh, a mini-series, The Just Shall Live by Faith. Well, if you would, please, once again, turn again to the Word of God, the Scripture, to, yep, you're right, the book of Hebrews, and we're going to pick it up in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, which says this, Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Hebrews 10, verses 38 and 39. This uh, first part of the mini-series, The Just Shall Live by Faith, is going to set up our thinking along the importance of that statement, the just shall live by faith. Now, that statement finds itself in a critical context of the book of Hebrews. And if you've been with us in this series uh, in the book of Hebrews, or if you've taken time on your own to study the book of Hebrews, you know firsthand that the central theme of the book of Hebrews is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the perfect Son of God. He is the perfect Son of Man with a perfect conception, perfect birth, living a perfect life in perfect obedience from a perfect loving heart to a perfect loving Heavenly Father. He suffered perfectly. He bled perfectly. He sacrificed perfectly. He died perfectly at the cross. He rose three days later perfectly, ascended perfectly to a perfect heaven, seated at the perfect right hand of a perfect heavenly father. And now he perfectly intercedes for you and I. That's the message of the book of Hebrews. Jesus is all. Jesus is the perfection of all. And when we have him, we have all. Christ is indeed all in all. That's the message of Hebrews. It's a glorious message, and it is at ground zero of the new covenant. That's the covenant that Jesus instituted and inaugurated with his blood. That's how much that God loves us. That's how much that Father God is committed to us by giving his one and only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I've written an article and uh, posted it on our ministry website at dailyinchrist.org. That article is titled, The Necessity of the Just Shall Live by Faith. And I want to take some time for the balance of this episode to read through this article because it's so important. I believe you should see it written. I believe you should hear it. So let's uh, Go through this article together, and I know it'll be of great blessing and instruction for you. 
The article begins by citing Hebrews 11.6, which says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11.6 How many of you would like to please God? Well, if you are a truly born-again child of God, Deep down, you desire to please God, right? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, Hebrews 11.6 stands in the context of the greatest chapter in all the Bible about faith, in the greatest book in all the Bible about the new covenant. You would agree then that this verse is extremely important on the subject of successfully living the Christian life in a manner that truly pleases God, right? So in God's mind and in his opinion, how important is faith to successful Christian living, to really pleasing God? Well, it is extremely important, isn't it? Regardless of what you've been taught about this subject, what denomination you're in and their sacred, in quotes, doctrines, what could be plainer? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. I will come back to the vital second half of this verse later. Now, in four key places, the Bible plainly, directly, and unflinchingly declares, the just shall live by faith. That is initially quoted in Habakkuk 2.4, and then there are three places in the New Testament where that phrase comes forward, the just shall live by faith. All three of the New Testament references of this powerful statement are in crucial contexts tied to the gospel and the new covenant. In Romans chapter 1, verse 17, we find the just shall live by faith in the context of the revelation of the gospel. Here's what it says, Romans 1.17. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Many refer to this great verse as the birth verse of the Reformation, because Martin Luther's eyes were opened to the gospel by understanding this verse. Biblically speaking, Romans 1.17 is huge. You know, the gospel is one of the essential themes of the Bible, right? Romans 1.17 says, In the gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And what is revealed? The righteousness of God. That's key. Surely then, Romans 1.17 is one of the highest mountain peaks in all of the Bible. Now, the second instance where we find the just shall live by faith is in Galatians 3.11. Here we find a church that has lost sight of the necessity of grace. Even though saved by grace, they have reverted to the insanity of a toxic mixture of law and grace. If Romans proclaims the gospel of grace, Galatians adamantly defends the gospel of grace. Look at the context of the New Testament's second citation of the just shall live by faith. And I'm reading in Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. 
For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. There it is right there. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. By the way, that is a quotation from Leviticus 18.5. The man who does them shall live by them. Back to Galatians 3, now verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And again, that's in Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. Sad to say, most Christians have fallen into the same law-grace trap as the Galatians. It has left them defeated, feeling like their relationship with God is like a roller coaster ride. The epistle to the Galatians is like a lighthouse whose piercing beam keeps Christians away from the dangerous rocks of self-righteousness and legalism. Here in Galatians 3, we see that we are either living by law that's self-effort and self-righteousness, or we are living by faith dependent on grace. Truly, Galatians 3.11 is one of the highest mountain peaks in all of the Word of God. Now, the third, the just shall live by faith, uh, that is found in the New Testament, is found in Hebrews 10.38. Just two verses before Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter that many refer to as the Faith Hall of Fame. And in that greatest chapter in all the Bible on the subject of faith, the phrase by faith is repeated a staggering 18 times. Did you hear that? The phrase by faith is repeated 18 times in one chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. No other book in the Bible comes even close to the pile driver of God's truth. The just shall live by faith. Case after case, Hebrews 11 marshals forth a veritable who's who of saints through the ages who have walked by faith. There is absolutely no doubt that this chapter is one of the greatest in all of the Bible. Well, there you have it. In four monumental places in all the Bible, God resolutely declares, the just shall live by faith. I want you to take a moment and think about that important phrase, the just shall live by faith. Let me ask you, if the Bible plainly declares that the just shall live by faith, how vital is living by faith in the mind of God. Well, obviously, it is extremely important. In Romans 14.23, we read this shocking statement. Whatever is not from faith is sin. Again, that's in Romans 14.23. Whatever is not from faith is sin. Now, that is the best definition of sin in all the Bible. It's also the toughest Think a moment. 
How many times over the last 24 hours have you done anything, good or bad, without faith? In God's mind, you are therefore sinning. Therefore, how many times have you sinned over the last 24 hours? Now, Romans 14.23 goes hand in hand with the great truths that the just shall live by faith. Habakkuk 2.4, Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, and Hebrews 10.38. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.6a. How vital, how essential, how non-negotiable to God is living by faith. Well, it's extremely important. Nothing could be clearer. Consider this. The language of faith, words like faith, believe, trust, and hope, appear a whopping 677 times in the New Testament alone. That's more than all the references of love in the New Testament. How essential is living by faith in the mind of God? Do you really want to please God? Do you really want to live a truly successful Christian life? Well, folks, there is no compromise here. You must live by faith, period, no exceptions. In fact, based on the key statements made by God himself, the following can be said. Without faith, The just cannot possibly please God, nor survive, and would be constantly sinning and displeasing God. Now here's the shocker. When it comes to living the Christian life, the vast majority of so-called Christian teaching material today completely neglects or at least barely mentions the necessity of faith. In fact, when I carefully reviewed the doctrinal statement of one major, well-respected evangelical denomination, absolutely nothing was said about the vital truth that the just shall live by faith. Nothing. Not even in the footnotes. Folks, that is painfully, agonizingly pathetic. Yet pastors, Bible teachers, radio and TV preachers across the land pour out massive amounts of books, recorded sermons, articles, and blog posts that almost totally omit this vital and essential truth. The just shall live by faith. And that, my friends, is gross spiritual malpractice. Imagine if you desperately needed brain surgery to remove a tumor and your surgeon blushingly admits, gee, I don't know anything about physiology. I kept flunking it in medical school. Would you trust your brain to such a surgeon? Never. So why in the world would you entrust the care of your soul to a spiritual leader who neglects God's vital truth that the just shall live by faith? No wonder so many Christians are struggling and failing to please God. No wonder we are having so little kingdom impact upon the world. No wonder there are so many, uh, so much fleshly, carnal, man-centered techniques and work with so eternal, so little eternal results. Why do most Christians, even Christian leaders, neglect the absolute necessity of faith? Now, let's look at all of Hebrews 11.6, because I've only read the first part of Hebrews 11.6 to this point. 
It's been my experience that while the first part of Hebrews 11.6 is what is usually quoted, if at all, the second part of the verse is omitted. Listen to all of Hebrews 11.6. Here's what it says. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Did you notice how this verse is so God-centered? It says, for he who comes to God, not a philosophy, a doctrine, a great teaching, but personally comes to God. Jesus faulted the scribes, Pharisees, and teachers of the law for seeking eternal life in the scriptures rather than coming to him who is eternal life. That's in John 5, 39 to 40. Also, John eleven twenty five, John 14, 6, and John 17, 3. Hebrews eleven six goes on to say that they, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. We embrace the great reality and totality of the I am of God. And that's how God revealed himself in the New Testament or the Old Testament. Remember Moses at the burning bush when God had dispatched him to go back to Egypt to uh, deliver, bring out uh, over two million Jews from the clutches of the strongest king on earth. Moses asked the Lord, who shall I say sent me? And God pulled his name card. He said, I tell them, I am sent you. I am who I am. That is the holy name of God, Yahweh or Jehovah. And here in the midst of this critically important verse in Hebrews eleven six, it says, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. Faith reaches to the I am of God. Embracing the great reality and totality of the I am of God. Third, Hebrews 11.6 says this, For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. God himself is the rewarder. He is the one who is the blesser. He is the one who is the blessing. He is the source. He is a rewarder. And then it finishes out by saying, of those who diligently seek him. Not things, not religion, not law, not living a better life, not becoming more Christ-like. The whole point of it all is God himself. We seek him. This was Paul's all-consuming passion. And you can read it for yourself in Philippians 3, uh, verses 8 through 11. The reason behind the all-too-prevalent absence of living by faith that we see in the church today is that we are so addicted to man-centered thinking, man-centered theology, which is no theology at all. And it certainly is not God-centered reality. We hear all the time about man and little about God himself. We prattle all the day along about how-to things, how to pray better, witness better, give better, tithe better, be a better parent, spouse, leader, employee, neighbor, citizen, you name it. Everything except God himself. Don't believe me? 
Walk the aisles of most Christian bookstores and peruse the titles of the books there. Case closed. Yet the Bible is consumed with God. Even passages where he isn't directly mentioned, the overarching one, the living God, is there. Every verse vibrates with the living God. The Bible should never be interpreted piecemeal, but as the integrated whole that it is, centered around and focused on God himself. Faith is locked on the faithful one himself. Do get this. The answer to your Christian life is not how to, but who to. God's answer to you is not things, but himself. He himself is all. Indeed, he truly is all in all. 1 Corinthians 12, 6, 1 Corinthians 15, 28, Romans eleven thirty six, and Colossians three eleven. As a matter of fact, if you've been with us for the series that we've been going through in the book of Hebrews, that's the theme that's been coming up over and over and over and over again. Sounds almost like a broken record. Christ is all, the perfection of Christ, perfect son, perfect God, offering uh, a perfect sacrifice, living a perfect life, dying a perfect death, uh, bleeding with perfect blood, dying a perfect death, rising a perfect resurrection, ascending to a perfect ascension, to the right hand, seated to the right hand of a perfect throne of a perfect father. He is perfectly interceding. You see, the totality of it all is God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. He himself is all. The answer is not how to, as we hear all the time from the pulpit, from Christian radio and Christian TV and Christian internet. The answer is not how to, the answer is who to, and the answer is Jesus. Put plainly, faith is dependence on someone or something else. Christian faith is faith in Christ. God's answer for everything is a different person altogether, the Lord Jesus Christ. But you may be wondering, why faith? Well, by now it should be clear that biblically, uh, living by faith is non-optional with God, right? We understand that. Living by faith is essential to Christian living, for without faith, it is impossible to please God, and all that is not of faith is sin, and the just shall live by faith. Now, to the question, why faith? Well, let's go to the book of Romans, chapter 4, verse 16. Now, Later on in this series, we're going to be focusing on the faith of Abraham, and that is really brought out uh, not only in Hebrews chapter 11, but also in this chapter, Romans chapter 4. So we're going to kind of skip over that for now, but we're going to key in on one verse in Romans chapter 4, verse 16. Are you there? Take a look at this. Romans 1, 4, 6, I'm sorry, Romans 4, 16 gives us a powerful reason why it is by faith. Listen to this. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, speaking of the Jew, 
but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. That's in Romans chapter 4, verse 16. First, we see that it is of faith that it might be according to grace. So faith and grace are inextricably tied together. In other words, faith is necessary because, uh, and precisely because, faith alone is based upon the grace of God. Faith is necessary because it is all according to the grace of God. The whole basis of faith is grace. The necessity of faith points directly to the necessity of grace. Now, grace, the real grace of God, as the Bible portrays it, is not the man-centered, gross misrepresentation that is so prevalent in the modern church today. Shockingly, grace in the modern church is too often portrayed as something we should do, extend, or give. The Bible never speaks of grace in that way. The Bible says completely the opposite. Grace is totally about God, what he gives, what he extends. Grace ultimately is God giving himself for us, not because we're so good, but because he is that good. The Bible repeatedly makes clear that grace is absolutely not something we do, we do, which is law. See Leviticus 18.5 and Galatians 3.12. Grace is inextricably tied to the glory of God. The fallenness and fallen thinking of man constantly robs God of his rightful glory. Meanwhile, the Bible declares to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted, and that word in the Greek accepted means highly graced or highly favored, in the beloved, Ephesians 1.6. My dear friend, grace is the fountainhead of the love of God himself. Grace is the fountainhead of all that God intends to give for us. Consider this. Romans 11.6 makes clear makes it clear that when we're talking about the grace of God, it has absolutely nothing to do with what we do. Romans 11.6 says this, And if by grace, then it is no longer of works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace, otherwise work is no longer work. See also Romans 3, 27 to 28, Romans 4, 4 to 5, John 6, verses 28 and 29, Romans 9, 30 to 33, Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9, 2 Timothy 1, 9, Galatians 2, 21, Galatians 5, 4, and Titus 3, 4 to 7. Continuing on in this theme, works equals me which equals I get the glory, which equals idolatry. In contrast to grace, which equals God, which equals God getting the glory. God in his grace gives us all that we need in abounding measure, giving us all sufficiency in all things, resulting in an abundance for every good work. 2 Corinthians 9.8 grace. Over and over again, the saints of the early church were commended to the grace of God. Acts 14.26, Acts 15.40, Acts 20.32, and Acts 13.43. The modern church would do well to remember this. The grace 
The God of all grace perfects us, establishes us, and settles us, resulting in the glory of God. 1 Peter 5, 10 to 11, continuing on this theme of all that God gives through his grace to us. The grace of God superabounds above and beyond abounding sin, Romans 5, 20 to 21. We reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ, as we receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, Romans 5, 17. The grace of God is able to build us up and give us an inheritance, Acts 20, 32. Even our faith and our ability to believe is through grace. John 1, verses 12 to 13, Romans 1, 5, 1 Corinthians 15, 10, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, Philippians 1, 29, Colossians 2, 12, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 to 14, Titus 3, verses 4 to 6, James uh, chapter 1, verses 16 to 18, and 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 to 3. We stand by grace, Romans 5, 2. Our heart is strengthened by grace, Hebrews 13, 9. The grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldliness, enabling us to live soberly, righteously, and godly, even in our present evil age, Titus 2, 12. The grace of God frees us from the domination of sin, law, Self-effort, our works, our struggling to please God, puts us right back under the dominion and bondage of sin, Romans 6.14. It is downright preposterous and blasphemous to claim, as some do, that teaching about God's precious holy grace somehow gives people a license to sin. Would you believe people actually say that? I wonder when the last time they opened up their Bible, because the Bible teaches that grace is holy and does just the opposite. Nothing kills sin better than grace, God's grace. God's word, as I said, declares the complete opposite. It doesn't give people a license to sin, as we've seen above and in many other places in the scripture. Going on in the theme of what God gives through his grace, we are chosen by God, by grace, Romans 11, verses 5 through 6. Grace enables us to give ourselves to the Lord beyond our ability. That's 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 5. Grace enables us to minister, Romans 12, 3, uh, Romans 15, 15 to 16, 1 Corinthians 3, 10, 1 Corinthians 15, 9 to 10. Again, going back to the connection between faith and grace and why faith is necessary, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed. Biblically, grace is totally caught up with Jesus. In fact, John 1.17 declares that grace came through Jesus Christ. Jesus himself is the total embodiment and reality of grace. How very striking it is that grace came through Jesus Christ. The grand fulfillment of every single promise that God has ever made are yes toward us, and they are amend by us in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1.20 
In Hebrews 12, 2, we read, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you see it right there in the beginning part of Hebrews 12, 2? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That is why faith is according to grace. It is all of Father God, totally giving us all in and through the Lord Jesus Christ because of his great love with which he loved us, Ephesians 2.4. Let's notice one more important thing in Romans 14 about the reason why living by faith is so necessary. Therefore, as it says in Romans 4, verse 16, it is a faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law that speaks of the Jew, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Now look at the outcome of living by faith according to the grace of God. It says that the promise might be sure guaranteed to all the seed, not only to those, to the Jews, as we saw, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. We are brought into the same blessing and same promise that was given to Abraham, who was the father of faith. You see, in back of faith, even in back of grace, is God himself, loving, faithful, the one who makes promises and spectacularly keeps them. When we speak of God making a promise, we are speaking of his commitments, not ours. And aren't God's commitments infinitely better than our measly ones? Alas, religion ever preaches about how we need to keep our promises, how we need to keep our commitments, how we need to be faithful. It yammers all the day long about how we need to be more faithful, yet it rarely mentions the faithfulness of God. When the religious are confronted with the infinite reality of God's faithfulness, they stare blankly, then retort with, yeah, but what about our commitments? Listen, our capacity to keep promises and commitments springs from the faithful one himself who indwells us. That's why we must focus on him and his commitments, not ourselves. God's faithfulness goes way beyond even commitment, though. He is a covenant-making God and a covenant-keeping God. We talked about that at the beginning of the study in this, our study in Hebrews. You know, it's one thing to make a promise. It's another to forge a covenant, binding two parties together as life partners, even to death. The greatest covenant of all, is the blood covenant, where the covenant partners swear allegiance and fidelity to each other, even to the point of saying, and if I fail to keep my part of this blood covenant, you can kill me. God made a blood covenant that richly benefited Abraham. Read about it in Genesis 15. Though Abraham was a beneficiary of such a spectacular covenant, he was not a party to the covenant. Rather, the blood covenant was made between God the Father and God the Son. And what of Abraham's commitments and promise-keeping? While Father and Son walked the blood covenant, this is in Genesis fifteen twelve. Abraham was sleeping 
deeply. Now, it doesn't stop at Abraham. All of the blessings, promises, and covenants that God made with Abraham are now the rightful privilege of every single person in Christ. Galatians 3, verses 13 to 14. To those who are of the faith of Abraham, Romans 4, 16c, and Galatians 3, 9. Isn't all this spectacular? Child of God, you are richly blessed of God, Ephesians 1, 3 and Galatians 3, 9. It's entirely based on the integrity of God, the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and God's grace. It's based on God's promises and commitments, not ours. That's why the New Testament can't stop talking about Christ, grace, faith, believing, trusting, and hope. Faith looks to Christ himself, who is the fullness, the complete manifestation of God's glorious grace toward us. And so it is, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11.6. Well, as I said at the beginning of this uh, episode, we're actually uh, doing two series for a moment at once. The ongoing series we've been in, in the book of Hebrews, called Hebrews, the Glory of the New Covenant, as well as a mini-series uh, that this particular part of our study in Hebrews uh, called The Just Shall Live by faith. And I felt it was so important for me to share this article, um, which is posted on our ministry website, dailyinchrist.org, titled, The Necessity of the Just Shall Live by Faith. It's so important to set this idea up. Don't forget, starting in Hebrews 10, 38, and going all the way through all of Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, is mentioned 19 times. It is so key and so critical because it is a faith that it would be according to grace and it is according to grace because it's all about God and his loving heart toward us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you're this good. Lord, in some senses, it seems almost too good to be true. But Lord, it's true because you're that good. And we just praise you and we thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for such love. Thank you for such commitment. Thank you, Father, for such faithfulness that we can rest our weary hearts upon you. Lord, it is true, Father, that it's all Jesus. He is everything that you intend to give us for life and godliness. And I just thank you, Father. I pray, Father, by your Spirit now, bring greater revelation and understanding of you. And we give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.